electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Dami, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, and Dan Nathan. Tonight on Fast, we're tracking the after-hours action in shares of PayPal, AMC, and The Real Real. All three stocks on the move right now on earnings. Their calls just getting underway. We're breaking down the quarter straight ahead. Plus, building gains, infrastructure stocks, and rally mode as Congress passes a massive spending plan. The names you need to have on your watch list. And later, a crypto breakout, Ethereum hitting a fresh all-time high as Bitcoin closes in on a new record. We're trading the big moves straight ahead. But we start off with AMD jumping into the metaverse. The chipmaker scoring a deal to supply semis to the company formerly known as Facebook. Shares soaring more than 10 percent, their biggest gain since July of 2020 and closing at a record high. The rest of the semi spacing strength as well. Names like Xilinx, NVIDIA, Taiwan Semi, all up more than 2 percent. So are chip stocks the ultimate way to play the metaverse? Dan Nathan, your thoughts here. Well, it's one way, and it's certainly one way that investors have focused on it since, you know, Mark Zuckerberg renamed the company a couple weeks ago, Meta, and laid out their vision for what the metaverse is. And I think what's really important, we've all read an awful lot about it. There's been a lot of snark about what exactly the metaverse is. Well, for the most part, it's really the Internet the way it exists right now. But you're going to be using a lot more hardware, whether it be AR, VR, virtual reality, that sort of thing, to enter it. You're going to be using native currencies like maybe crypto and stuff like that. So it's going to be a whole host of things that you're already doing that look like gaming, that look like social and put it all together. So you tell me, does NVIDIA deserve to be up 20% in two trading days and AMD because they score um, you know, a deal with Meta, uh, formerly of Facebook, up 10% today because of that? I don't really think so. I think it's great that they are taking share from Intel, which has really owned these, um, you know, these server chips for a very long time. But a lot of it is happening very, very fast. There's a lot of buzzwords flying around. And I'll just say this. I mean, AMD is about to overtake Intel in market cap. I think that most people who traded semis or owned semis for a very long time thought that would never happen here. So the valuations are getting a bit stretched. This stock is up. You ready for this? 50 percent in a month right now. There's some really some disconnected things going on right here. So I just can't suggest that that would be um, a great time to buy it for this new amazing thing that we're all going to be immersed in very soon. I homed in on the word buzzword from Dan Guy. Is this the new buzzword? You know, before it was crypto and you say I'm into, you know, we're supplying chips for crypto money and all of a sudden your stock goes up. Is this another instance where chip companies are going to get rewarded for saying metaverse when it's really just the next generation of Internet? And it should be the next generation of chips. Um, is that where we're at right now? It, unfortunately, it is. And you'll probably be able to count on one hand the amount of times I actually utter that phrase over the next, well, over the next year. And that's me wishful thinking that maybe I'm still here in here. Who knows, Melms? But I'll say this. Everything that Dan has said in terms of AMD and NVIDIA is, is absolutely spot on. AMD right now is trading 45 times next year's numbers, probably close to 10 times revenue extended clearly but we've been pretty steadfast in both those names that you got to stay the course now i will say this and i'm not suggesting to short anything here 
But if you've enjoyed the ride in AMD, today it traded close to three times normal volume. This could be one of those short-term capitulary tops. I'll tell you a name that has had a huge run that is ridiculously cheap is Qualcomm, trading at close to 15 times next year's numbers with the earnings growth to back it up, breaking out to the upside. Uh, if you want to take a little money off the table AMD and put it into Qualcomm, that's not the worst thing in the world. Tim? I like that call, and, and I, I, I guess I tend to agree that the, the meta headline is not really what it's been about. It's been about for AMD. First of all, they went from nowhere to being 25% of the x86 market, which, uh, again, has been talked about. They're eating Intel's lunch. So they've, they've got Intel's customers. They've got Google, uh, AWS, Azure. I mean, they, they're all customers, and, and their data center chips are, are critical. But if you think about where they're going and they're competing with NVIDIA, again, NVIDIA's A100 chip is, a, is an AI chip. Uh, AMD is going at them head, head, head on. And in AI, their ability to compute faster is something that at least there are people out there saying that they're delivering. And, and again, uh, look at what's happened with NVIDIA. So the headline is a sexy headline, uh, but I, I would tend to agree with the guys here. And I'll, I'll take Dan's 50% in the last you know, 30, 45 days to 85% from, from July. So I, I do think the stock's had an incredible run. Uh, the valuation is difficult. And, and I think it, it's been a transformational time, however, for Lisa Sue. Uh, looking at it from a Facebook perspective, though, Karen, I mean, clearly renaming itself Meta Platforms signals and has signaled uh, its commitment to the metaverse and therefore its capital commitment to the metaverse. And so therefore, I mean, this is this may be a small I don't want to say it's a small contract. It may not be a big deal in terms of AMD's overall valuation, but this could just be the tip of the iceberg in terms of future contracts, future business from Facebook, which clearly has a lot of money that it wants to spend on the metaverse. Right. And obviously they're not the only one. I mean, it seems to me it's like a modern day gold rush where, you know, the chip makers are selling the picks and shovels and they're getting paid right now or in the next, you know, short order before the gold is found. And so I think obviously Facebook is going to be one of those whose CapEx in that area is going to be gigantic, but not the only one. Also, Facebook, you know, wanted to not be called Facebook anymore for many other reasons. But Metaverse seems to be the focus now. And, I, you know, I'm long Facebook. I, the valuation, I think, is attractive. I give Mark Zuckerberg the benefit of the doubt on being a steward of capital. But um, as to the, the valuations, I feel like a lot of Metaverse is starting to get priced in. And we're very, very early in the Metaverse. So um, I feel, you know, I, I agree with Dan, which is an unusual position. But I feel like a lot of good things are priced in already. I think Karen brings up an interesting point in terms of looking at the metaverse and in terms of the different parts of how to get at that trade. And there is the picks and shovels aspect, Dan. And I'm wondering if at this point in time, given that the metaverse is in relatively early stages, if that's the way to go, if one were to trade the metaverse. Yeah, I think there's a lot of existing computing um, you know, processes that are going to be uh, definitely benefit from a move to a different sort of internet. And it's a more immersive one. It's going to be more reliant on some new hardware that actually hasn't been created yet. And I think that's a really important point. So if Mark Zuckerberg and Meta want to kind of subsidize that and, and really are committed to a more open Web3, let's call it, infrastructure, then that's going to benefit a lot of us. If it moves away from some of these 
these centralized platforms. I think the big risk are these centralized platforms. It almost feels like Mark Zuckerberg, at least the way he's articulated this, might be cannibalizing many parts of his existing business. Now, we know that they try to do a digital currency. They have not been successful yet. There's going to be a lot of competing processes, applications, protocols, whatever you want to call them. That's what's going to be really exciting about this. But I think Karen just said it. I think you're probably getting a little ahead of yourself. If you see an NVIDIA up, you know, 50, 60, 70 percent in a month or two based on a lot of excitement around this or AMD, you know, gaining, you know, you know, 20 billion dollars in market share over a deal that we can't even quantify. That doesn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense to me. All right. Let's get more insight on this from Jared Weisfeld, technology sector specialist at Jefferies. Jared, always good to see you. Thanks for having me back again, of course. Um, by no means am I a chip expert, nor do I play one on TV, so I'm going to ask you a stupid question. Um, but I think one that our, a lot of our viewers might have, and that is, are these chips, um, are, is, is what AMD and NVIDIA, are they, what, what are they supplying in terms of how, how different these chips are from just viewing chips as sort of the next generation chips that, that feel Web 3.0? So if we take a step back, the quick, answer, the quick answer to your question is absolutely yes. These are the chips we're focusing on. If we take a step back to Facebook's earnings announcement, where they guided their 2022 CapEx to as much as $34 billion, and I think that needs to be put in context. That's more than Taiwan Semiconductor spends per year, and that's the world's largest foundry in terms of making the actual chips. So the infrastructure investment that Facebook is making is massive. And when you zoom in in terms of what they're actually spending on they went out of their way to talk about the incremental spend towards AI and ML, so artificial intelligence and machine learning chips. And those chips that are best suited for that happen to be parallel processing chips, which are GPUs, so the graphic processing units that AMD and NVIDIA put out. So AMD and NVIDIA are really in the sweet spot in terms of the trends that are uh, happening at Facebook in terms of incremental CapEx. And this is not going to stop at Facebook, right? If you're another cloud service provider, you know, Microsoft has already endorsed the metaverse even just last week, right? So if you're Microsoft, if you're Amazon, if you're Google, you know, you're going to see incremental CapEx follow this announcement. So I think Facebook is at the forefront of this. And you're going to see billions and billions continue to be invested in terms of AI, ML type architectures. Hey, Jared, it's Tim. So I also not a chip expert and not playing one on TV. And my question is more about um, is AMD re-rated based upon the future or is it based upon that they really have taken enormous market share and, and essentially data, their data center chips and their processing chips today um, have you know, eaten the lunch of not only Intel, but some of the other main peers out there. And, and just talk about that valuation. Absolutely. So I think both of those points are absolutely intertwined. As it was noted, AMD now is sporting, you know, mid 20 percent market share in terms of uh, core compute with with respect to the server end market. And that's the most important end market. It's stickier revenue. We're talking about Microsoft, Facebook's the world that are customers, higher margin. And Lisa, Sue and the entire team has really done an amazing job from an execution standpoint. You look at what they announced today. They announced Milan X. They announced the MI200 which is their next generation GPU, which goes against NVIDIA. They confirmed that Genoa, which is their next generation data center chip coming out in next year, is completely on time, uh, utilizing the TSMC five nanometer process. So not only is it about the market share that has already been established, but it's investors willing to ascribe that premium multiple because AMD probably, I mean, I am sure they are not planning on stopping at 25%, right? Their number one competitor, Intel in traditional compute is clearly wounded while TSMC and it, while AMD is able to leverage TSMC's process technology roadmap and really advance ahead. And everyone on this show has 
Kip talked about bricks and mortar, and you know, you look at the entire supply chain. Taiwan Semiconductor is AMD's largest partner, right? They are producing all of these chips, and these chips are massive, which we can certainly get into. Jared, I'm wondering how we should think about the potential total addressable market in terms of what the spend could be on metaverse chips, um, and how much of that is actual new spend or replace spend. In other words. Um, you know, no longer spending on on whatever prior generation chips and, and shifting that spending forward. For sure. So, if you um, if you go back to Facebook's announcement in terms of them increasing spend to th- up to thirty four billion dollars in calendar twenty twenty two, you know, Zuckerberg and Cheryl Sandberg on the call. You know, there's no intention to monetize this anytime soon, right? We're talking about revenue generating opportunities potentially in twenty thirty and beyond. So we're still just building the infrastructure. So that capex profile is going to go up and to the right from here, and that baseline is up seventy percent into twenty twenty two. Then you layer on the incremental spend from Microsoft, from uh, from Google, from Amazon, and anyone that plans on entering the metaverse. And you think about video games and, and how that can play into the mix. I mean, we're talking about a, you know a number that could be certainly hundreds of billions of dollars in terms of the infrastructure. Uh, and specifically to your question, though, with respect to the chips that are getting produced, I alluded to this earlier, but these chips are you know in some cases five to eight times so, uh, larger than the chip that goes into your cell phone. Right? We're talking about chips that are eight hundred to a thousand millimeters squared. So these are these are monster chips, and uh, you know the semiconductor capital equipment supply chain also benefits in a tremendous way. Jared, great to get your perspective on this. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Jared Weisfeld of Jeffries. So there's picks and shovels, and then there's picks and shovels for the picks and shovels players guy. So where would you want to go? First of all, I love the fact that AMD's got the Italian cities with their chips, Milan and Genoa. I'm I waiting knew there for the was a reason why you had a Cheshire cat grin on your face. Anyway, <laughs> right, see, in my head, as usual, on a Monday, nice haircut guy, by the way. You know, we're going to talk about this later just in terms of their earnings. But if you really want to look at names that could benefit absolutely right now, it's a name like Roblox, which I know you remember this, but we talked about it in the CNBC draft. Uh, that stock being one of the first names that should have gone. Look at the quarter they just put up and look at where the stock is trading now. So there clearly plays. I particularly don't think it's going to be Facebook. Yes, I called it Facebook. And I think, as I mentioned, AMD is uh, you time to take some chips off the table. But in the long run, both AMD and NVIDIA still work. Qualcomm, to me, is still the cheapest out there. All right. Check out some infrastructure stocks surging today. The name's getting a boost after the House passed a $1 trillion infrastructure package. Um, Tim, you're saying that the uh, resource names are particularly strong. Well, and we, we've certainly known about an infrastructure bill for some time. We've also just come through an earnings season where a lot of these folks have, have actually talked about uh, both CapEx and OpEx and free cash flow generation. And, and really, uh, with a lot of the core commodities, whether you are a free port or whether you are even a steel uh, producer at this point, uh, yes, you've seen a little bit of a pullback, but, but ultimately uh, we're near e- – if not all-time highs, we're, we're right near all-time highs. So, again, um, I just think this has been a reminder. It's a reminder also that we're actually seeing follow-through on specific plans that still needed to be ratified. Um, I think if you look at the valuations in the sector, um, again, you don't buy commodities and resource stocks when they're cheap, um, but they're starting to run. And that is something, again, we're starting to challenge those highs from back in March when rates were higher, and that was a common trade. Now you have information on the profitability and you have the tailwind of infrastructure. I think you stay in that trade. Karen, some of the industrial names that you hold rallied also. Well, actually, United Rental opened and traded up to 415, which is way, way, way higher than it's ever traded. But it did end the days on the low, I think. It was Mm. only up 
I don't know, 60 cents, something like that. So for them, I guess it was clearly a, you know, buy the rumor and sell it first thing in the morning of the news. Um, so I'm still long United Rentals. They had a great quarter. A lot of the reasons that um, they had a great quarter will be further accelerated by the We'll see how long it takes to implement the infrastructure bill. But also one of the things that really worked for them was they have a giant inventory of used machines, which are trading at very high prices. So there's a lot of things to like there. This this run up is maybe a little too hot. All right. Coming up, we've got some after hours action in shares of AMC and PayPal, both stocks on the move on earnings. Conference calls underway right now. We'll bring you all the details next. Plus, to sell or not to sell, that is a question Elon Musk is asking his Twitter followers. It sent shares lower today. We're digging into the action when Fast Money returns. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got earnings alerts on AMC and PayPal, both stocks on the move in the after hours. Full team coverage standing by to break down the results. Julie Borson's listening in to the AMC call, but we'll kick it off with Kate Rooney with fresh color from the PayPal call. Kate. Hey, Melissa. Yeah, that call is still going on. And it was a mixed quarter for PayPal with a miss on revenue, lowering guidance as well. But they did beat on EPS. Some headlines, though, coming out from this analyst call, confirming our earlier reporting that PayPal will be adding equity trading Early next year, Shulman also says that Walmart is now accepting PayPal for payments as well. And the other big headline, this came out uh, when the results crossed, but PayPal announcing a partnership with Amazon to let customers pay with Venmo on Amazon's e-commerce site. We also got some profitability stats on Venmo as well. They have 80 million users total. We don't get total user numbers every quarter, so that one stands out. And they're on track to bring in $900 million in revenue this year. 
Uh, Shulman also saying that Venmo will be transaction margin positive for the year. So some profitability stats there. The headwinds for PayPal are really still all about eBay. Revenue growth for the year was 13 percent from the same time last year, but it was 25 percent if you strip out eBay from that equation. I spoke to Dan Shulman after the numbers crossed. He told me that eBay amounted to about 850 basis points of pressure in the quarter and uh, how about this analogy, Melissa? I know you tweeted it out, but it is, he said that it is, quote, a little bit like getting a pig through a python. So quite the visual there. He said this quarter was the maximum impact of eBay on our results, and it will go through the system within the next two quarters or so. He says it'll be primarily behind us after that. And another stat here, the take rate, that came in lower than expected, 1.8% for transactions. Total take rate, 1.9%. That's a key metric that analysts were really watching going into this report. The call is still going on. Everyone is looking for more details on PayPal's M&A strategy. Dan Schulman did just start talking about that. He said there had been some rumors. He said they're still looking for a digital strategy and they're still going in that direction. No news yet, though, on the M&A front, but I'll tune back in, Melissa, and bring you guys any headlines. Back to you. Kate, I know you reported over the summer that PayPal was looking into getting into the equity business, and I'm wondering if you know any more, if we know any more from this call about how they plan to do it and if they're going to be um, doing payment for order flow, if they actually compete with Robinhood, et cetera. He hasn't said so. He sort of slipped it in there and said, among the things we're adding next year, equity trading in the, uh, at some point in 2022. So we'll see if they go that route or partner, have you seen with um, Venmo and with adding cryptocurrency capabilities, they partnered with Paxos. So they may end up doing more of a partnership model versus Robinhood taking a lot of these things in-house. But it'll be interesting to see uh, how this plays out and what it means for PayPal's bottom line. All right. Kate, thank you. Kate Rooney covering PayPal for us. Um, Dan Nathan, what do you make of this? Yeah, I think we've been talking about this since that rumor was floated, um, you know, a few weeks ago about them possibly paying 40 or 45 billion dollars for Pinterest. I think we all agreed that would have been a home run for Pinterest. Not sure what um, sense it made for PayPal. We know that some of these trends that were accelerated during the pandemic have been decelerating. Right. And so one of the issues with evaluation like they have is like, how do you kind of get those back going again. New partnerships are great. Um, M&A, maybe, but I'm not sure at the expense, the expense which to buy a platform like Pinterest. But I guess it's disappointing. I mean, I think when they say this Amazon deal should help, I mean, this is going to be pay with Venmo is going to be important. I'm not sure it makes sense on a platform where you have 10 different ways to pay on Amazon. It's going to be very competitive. So to me, that just seems to be a bit of a window dressing. The stock is at a very crucial spot. It's down 20 from those recent highs. And really in this kind of 230 level or so, it really looks like there's room to the downside if it doesn't find some quick support here. Your thoughts, Karen, on, on either PayPal or this move that they're making to equities? I don't know what to make of the move to equities, actually. I mean, I, I think, I don't know that it'll be that meaningful for them, but part of a bigger plan, I guess. But to me, just looking at the stock, the company was clearly a beneficiary of the pandemic, right? Everybody turning to e-commerce and them being right in the middle of that. But in addition, the stock was really a beneficiary of e-commerce valuations. And so now that the sentiment is that we're coming out of that um, and the mix also to more credit than debit, you know, that sort of weighs on them. And when you trade a high valuation, there's really not room for a, just a tiny bit soft earnings. So it's a great company, but I think that I don't feel the need to jump in right now. 
All right. Let's turn to AMC now. Uh, shares are sitting at pretty much after our session lows, now down about 5% after reporting results. The company's call is underway. Let's get to Julia Borson with the details. Could we get in on the call this time, Julia? Because a lot of people <laughs> are wanting to get in on this call. Yeah, they they did make a note, uh, Adam Aaron saying that he wanted to welcome all of the individual investors who are listening in on the call. But look, the stock is trading down despite the fact that AMC beat expectations on the top line with revenue of $763 million. That did beat expectations of $708 million and a $0.44 cent per share loss was $0.09 cents smaller than the loss that was anticipated. CEO Adam Aaron did reiterate that the company is encouraged by results from the beginning of the fourth quarter with October revenues the highest of any month since before the pandemic. But here's why the stock is trading down. Aaron issued a note of warning saying, quote, even amidst such good news, we are not yet where we want and need to be. We wish to emphasize that no one should have any illusions that there is not more challenge ahead of us still to be met. The virus continues to be with us. We need to sell more tickets in future quarters than we did in the most recent quarter. Now, on the call just now, he did sound optimistic in general. He talked about how they've upped their alternative content. That includes football games. He talked about how they've launched a spotlight on horror movies and are also bringing back old fan favorites. This is all part of a plan to get more alternative content, more things that aren't first-run movies in those theaters. And he also mentioned, of course, cryptocurrency, how they are working to accept cryptocurrency in more ways and even working to accept Shiba Inu. Melissa? So, Julie, I'm curious in terms of the call and how it's working. Um, retail investors, are they're dialing in. Is this on YouTube? I mean, how are they participating? It's on their website. I'm, list- mm-hmm. I'm looking at it right now. This is on uh, the, the AMC website. You can, you can log in and listen to it. I'm streaming it on my computer right now. All right. Julia, thanks. Julia Borson, stocks down 6.5%. It should be interesting how this call goes with um, 80% of the float owned by retail investors. Guy, what are your thoughts here? Well, it's not an earnings story, I think, which is why I find it fascinating that people are flocking to the call. But it is good. It is worthy of, you know, for the entertainment value, for sure. Listen, $138 million net cash flow, free cash flow loss. I mean, not great on a revenue number of, what, $760 million. I mean, none of the numbers really make that sense. But it's not about earnings, right? It's about everything else. So the stock is held in there really well. It's north of 40 again. People are obviously playing it for much different reasons than the fundamentals. And oh, by the way, I think they have about $1.8 billion uh, in terms of liquidity. So they're in good shape and the stock is should trade. Let's put it this way. I think there is definitely room to the upside based on this quarter. Um, the stock was already up 21 percent in just the past month, Tim. So it's had quite a nice run into this quarter. So I wonder if it's just a little bit of sell the news sort of um, pressure here. <laughs> It's had a nice run, but it's been largely in a range since, since mm-hmm. the, the last spike and where they had the, the, the raise and they ultimately have bolstered their balance sheet and, and they've said we're exploring different ways to grow our business. I, I wouldn't, uh, I'm not going to bet against that stock in terms of where it's going to go. I, I, I think the fact, guy, guy hit the nail on the head, I, I don't really care we're at 90% of pre-pandemic. I don't really care uh, about the theatrical recovery other than, you know, good for actors and actresses and, and folks out there that are back to work. I, you know, I just think that this is a story, um, what we've seen out of both, you know, Reddit stocks and, and whatnot is that uh, once the balance sheet has changed, you're in, and we know this just from staring at, at companies over the years, um, 
this company has enough support. Uh, the CEO has a following within the retail community that every negative thing he says uh, actually as a disclosure and as a disclaimer is something that seems to almost embolden the stock. So um, that's really what I think you're getting here. And I don't know where they you know, change their business. I admire the creative ways to bring in new revenue streams, but it's not really a movie story. It's not, it's not a movie story, and nor does it want to be a movie story in the future, Karen. And I think that, you know, I think the thought here is, as Tim had mentioned, you know, maybe we should never view it as pre-pandemic and what the business was or where the business is going, because it wants to be in another business at this point. And Adam Aaron may have a little bit of leeway to figure that out. Yeah, he might. I mean, the story of AMC surviving is a movie in itself, and I think it would be a fascinating one. Well, look, you know him as well as anybody. I, and I agree with what Tim said about him, you know, telling, sort of uh, issuing a word of caution to shareholders. I think he says it and people see it as, oh, that's just sort of perfunctory. You know, there are always risks. And um, it allows him to actually say, hey, we got a lot of real challenges here without dampening the excitement around the stock, which, again, is masterful, as we've seen him be so many times. So I also think whenever real hard numbers come out, then there's just a moment of, uh, oh, valuation and like, wow, it's really high. So they're better off never reporting anything, I think, but they can't do that. So I wouldn't short it. He's, he's a master at what he does. But, uh, you know, long term, I'm somewhat pessimistic on this business in whatever form it might be at this valuation. So it's a good show to watch, though. We are just getting started here on Fast Money. Here's what's coming up next. Musk mulling a Tesla stock sale, $21 billion worth. And he's taking to Twitter to get his answer. And speaking of EVs, Rivian giving up to go public. And our next guest says you should be plugging in. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of Tesla taking a dive today after Elon Musk asked his Twitter followers if he should sell 10% of his stock. Musk tweeting out this poll. Much is made lately of unrealized gains being a means of tax avoidance. So I propose selling 10% of my Tesla stock. Do you support this? Just about 58% of respondents saying he should do it. Musk faces a tax bill of more than $15 billion in the coming months on stock options. Um, So, Dan, you know, it'd be nice to get inside Elon Musk's head and, and know exactly why he's doing this. But why do you think he's doing it? So, Mel, you make it sound like that inside his head is the metaverse. I mean, it probably is somewhat close to what's going to be going on there. I mean, listen, he owns 170 million shares, 17 percent 
of the company. He has telegraphed the fact that he's going to have a big, uh, you know, he did this the way Elon Musk would do it. And listen, what I think is really interesting is that this company, since their IPO back in 2010, I think they've raised money at every single point. Now, you could say at this point, they don't really need to anymore. But I would say if you look at the history of tech, you know, the ups and downs, and this is a tech company, it's also an auto company. And you look at the history of the automobile industry, that having enough cash on hand is not a bad thing. So I think if he ends up selling a bunch of his stock, the company's actually probably going to be selling a bunch of stock to or something else. They've done converts in the past, obviously a lot of debt issuance. Um, so it would probably have to be alongside of that. That's much just my quick take. Yeah. Guy? It's interesting. You know, for weeks leading up to earnings, we had said we thought that Tesla would take out the prior high from February, probably trade a thousand. And that happened on October 27th, the big volume day. I thought on that day you sell the stock, take some profits, look to get back in it around the prior all-time high of $900, basically, on the screws. Well, proceeded to trade to 1250 or thereabouts. I still think it's probably headed to 900 or thereabouts, and then you reload again. I'm not saying to short it. I'm not saying it's a bad company. I think you just got to trade around it, and I think right now it's giving you an opportunity. I, I mean, I guess the big question is, is this, saying, is this a statement about the stock, or is it just selling 10% of you know, of his holdings. He's the biggest shareholder. He owns 17% of the stock. So 10% of that is, is not that much. Um, is this a statement on anything in terms of where the stock is, Tim? Totally. I mean, look, the stock would not have been able to handle this uh, two years ago, I think. And, you know, not handle. What does that mean? I, you know, there would have been enormous volatility. We flagged that the vol and lack of vol in the stock around uh, significant moments in the market and also times where there have been some company specific news has been extraordinary. So the smoothing factor within the company's capital markets. And again, it's a balance sheet. And it's uh, obviously the operational side has been a, a very different and successful story, too, in the last two or three quarters. But it's really about the fact that this is such a large balance sheet at this point and such a large company. And that, you know, the thought of Elon selling out and selling a piece and, you know, not necessarily moving on. But we know Elon is well on to other things and actually probably aspires to be fully focused on other things. And the stock does not, you know, does not waver in the face of that. So that tells you uh, it's a very different character and personality of how this stock trades. All right. Well, Kramer is all over this move in uh, Tesla today in the Investing Club newsletter. Sign up now at CNBC.com backslash Investing Club or use a QR code on your screen. Check out the move in shares of Live Nation today. The stock falling nearly 5 percent following this weekend's deadly stampede at the Astro World Festival in Houston. Live Nation, the festival's promoter, has been named as a defendant in at least one lawsuit. Live Nation saying in part, quote, we continue to support and assist local authorities in their ongoing investigation and we will address all legal matters at the appropriate time. Karen, um, you're a shareholder. You've been doing some digging. What do you think? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, as, as a mother who had two kids at a festival, a Live Nation festival a couple of weeks ago, you hear news like that, and it's really horrible and terribly sad. And then I compartmentalize that, and as a shareholder, my first thought is, I am sure they're insured. But let me just look at the 10K to make sure. And of course they are insured, but that doesn't prevent them from ever being, um, from ever having to make any payments. Uh, but I would imagine the amount of insurance they have is quite large. Remember, they do 40,000 shows a year, plus more than that, actually. So things happen all the time. And to the extent that there is some liability, I think that they will be able to cover it easily. 
I mean, it's really sad, but we've seen sad things happen before that ultimately don't affect the valuation. I think that's what's going to happen here. It happened to have come after they hit an all-time high on huge earnings, as well as the Pfizer news allowing this, you know, reopen trade to really go gangbusters on Friday, and the stock went nuts. So uh, I think it was a relatively mild pullback, as it should be, given I think they're uh, how protected I think they are. Uh, we'll have much more in the aftermath of the Astor World Festival tragedy tonight, 7 p.m. Eastern, on the news with Shepard Smith. Coming up, can I? For, we're all over the after hours move in the real, real share surging after reporting the call also underway. We've got the details next. Plus, we're gearing up for another EVIPO. Rivian set to make its debut. So, how should you play this one? Don't go anywhere. Fast Money's back right after this. Welcome back. We are getting some news of the AMC call. Julia Borson has the latest. Julia. Well, AMC CEO Adam Aaron announcing that not only is the company working to accept Bitcoin and other types of cryptocurrencies, but they're also looking into whether they can create their own cryptocurrency. He also said that in addition to cryptocurrency, they are talking about partnering with movie studios to do some NFTs. So popcorn cryptocurrency and NFTs. It's all on their agenda. We'll see how it pans out, Melissa. He just needs to say metaverse, Julia. And then we've got like the trifecta going here. <laughs> Julia Borson, thank bingo. you. Bingo, right then, that's a bingo. <laughs> exactly. Um, Julia Borson, she'll keep us posted, by the way. Let's check out some of the other big movers in the after hours. Roblox shares surging on earnings, now up nearly 30%. TripAdvisor, meantime, lower on an earnings miss. And take a look at Smile Direct Club dropping nearly 25% after its report. And the results keep rolling in. We've got another earnings alert on the real real. Let's get to Courtney Reagan with all the details court. Hi, Melissa. Yes, so the online resale platform putting up a better than expected quarter with a smaller than expected loss on stronger revenues, though $57 million loss is larger than the $44 million loss last year and $25 million loss in 2019. Still, shares are higher after hours, now higher by 10% as the conference call just wraps up. The Real Real reports third quarter GMV grew 50% versus last year, 46% compared to 2019. And the site's gross profit per order grew $4 or 4% to $94 per order, though the take rate fell 50 basis points compared to the same quarter last year. The Real Real says that active buyers grew 25% to more than 770,000 orders, up 38%, and the average order value grew 9% to 486 bucks. And while the supply chain issues aren't quite as intense for the Real Real because of its resale and consignment model, the company does call out elevated shipping costs and staffing constraints constraints in its authentication centers. It's working on some automation there. On the call, CEO Julie Wainwright said she believes the impacts of COVID-19 are largely behind the company. And next quarter, the real real will begin to provide a timeline for positive EBITDA growth, or at least the path to get there. Melissa. All right, Courtney, thank you. Courtney Reagan. Karen, you're a shareholder. You fast pitched real real a while back. So what did you make of the quarter? (laughs) I liked the quarter. I always like to hear the call, so I will go back and listen to that. There was a lot to like. Um, I mean, clearly they still have a lot of expenses, which we knew. They've been operating some redundant facilities, and um, and as Courtney pointed out, some of the inefficiencies from labor is a little bit of a problem. But they did a good job on expenses, um, and I thought 
The revenue was good. The mix isn't quite right, but it's not that it's not quite right. It's explainable when you sell a high margin, a high priced item like a watch, they take less of that. So the take rate is a bit lower, but the average order volume was good. That $94 uh, gross profit per order is getting them very close to that $100 that they have laid out as a goal. So um, there's a lot to like. Uh, I'll listen to it. I'm not sure if there's anything to to not like here. Just one other thing, their direct business uh, was also a, bit of, uh, a decent sized beat. So good for them. I'm still a shareholder hanging on and uh, I'm optimistic. And I look at this versus rent the runway, which is similar or even higher valuation. I think this is so much better. All right. Still ahead, gearing up for its big debut, EV maker Rivian set to go public. We'll break down what you can expect straight ahead. Plus, check out the big moves in crypto today. Ethereum hitting a new all-time high, Bitcoin closing in on that level. This is Coinbase gets ready to report tomorrow after the bell. We're breaking down that trade when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Rivian set to IPO this week at a valuation that could be as high as $65 billion. Shares expected to price tomorrow. And our next guest says that unlike other recent electric vehicle IPOs, this time you should believe the hype. Packy McCormick, the man behind the Not Boring newsletter, joins us now. And it is appropriately named Not Boring, by the way. Packy, welcome to the show. Great to have you with us. Great to be here. Thanks so much for having me. This is a deep dive into Rivian, and I think that, you know, for some people, you might think of the, the more recent sort of EV um, companies that have gone public, and most of them have gone public via SPAC. This is a very, very, very different animal in terms of the hype and in terms of how it is going public, correct? It is. I mean, I think, obviously, it's going public in a traditional IPO. It's backed by some of the bluest blue-chip investors out there. Uh, and the hype seems to be real, at least on the car side. The reviews have been pretty unanimously, unanimously amazing uh, for both the R1T and uh, people are excited about the R1S as well. Uh, and then there's big orders in place. So, you know, the biggest one being Amazon has 100,000 vehicle order for the EDBs. So there's built in demand for the next few years kind of already there. Can you sort of make the um, draw the line between where it is now and where it's valued and, and where it will be in a year or two? And what do you see as the biggest sort of obstacles to that? Because I think in your blog, you said something like it, it just needs to, to meet its goals. That's sort of a big thing to execute on, just to meet goals and deliver cars when it's supposed to deliver cars by when it's new at the car making business. It is. So, you know, Rivian has started delivering cars. I think, you know, a lot of the a lot of the anti-Rivian talk uh, in the past few weeks or about a month ago was that it hadn't delivered anything yet. It started doing that. Really, over the next couple of years, Rivian needs to hit its delivery targets. By about 2025, it needs to get to, at current multiples, uh, about 200,000 vehicles delivered in that year to be able to kind of grow into the valuation based on where Tesla's priced right now and based on where Lucid is priced right now. Obviously, things could change. Uh, revenue multiples in the space could compress. They could start being, I don't know, valued on, uh, on profits and earnings. So a lot could happen in the market. But given the current market conditions, if they can deliver about 200,000 vehicles in 2025, uh, they should be able to grow into the valuation. Hey, Packy, happy Monday. Thanks for joining us, bud. Um, here's one for you, okay? So this company, who are they competing with, right? When Lucent rolled out the first car that they delivered last week, it was a $170,000 high-end sedan. It looked like they're competing with the Model S Plaid, right? This company is gonna roll out 
SUVs and trucks, adventure SUVs and trucks at like a $70,000, $75,000 price point. Is this a smart move in your opinion? Are they going after somewhere where Tesla doesn't live at all, where they think they can compete with the existing incumbents of the, uh, you know, of the ice, ice cars, I guess you would call them? Yeah, so they're they're going uh, into a kind of a greenfield space in EV right now. Uh, so they are going after the adventurous set, the outdoor set. The unique thing about Rivian's kind of truck and SUV is that it can go zero to 60 uh, in three seconds on the open road, but then it can off-road. And so they're targeting uh, this outdoorsy, affluent crew. Currently in the market, there's nothing kind of competing. Ford will come out with the F-150 Lightning. That will be in the $40,000 price point. I think that's targeted at, at a traditional kind of F-150 buyer who wants to go EV. Uh, upmarket, you know, you'll have the Cybertruck and uh, some of Tesla's vehicles if you do want an electric SUV. But right now, they're in this part of the market where they're in between the Ford and the Tesla in kind of lucid pricing. And they're going after this group who hasn't been targeted with an EV yet. Packy, great to have you on the show. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you soon. Great to be here. Packy McCormick, best name in the business. Um, not boring. All right, so do you think? Do you agree with Packy in terms of the segmentation of this market? Because he said the Ford F-150 and the, elect, the, the, the Lightning version of it, the EV version of the F-150, is probably for existing F-150 owners. Um, this Rivian is the wealthier set, and the Cybertruck is for robots. So a guy basically is saying that that it's wide open for Rivian and there's no real competition. Yeah. First of all, PMAC has forgotten more about this than I'll ever know, number one. And his podcast is a must listen. But I'll say this in terms of the stocks, and he's probably absolutely right. But, you know, Tim has talked about this. Karen, Dan, Ford, to me, even though it's at 20 bucks, is still an opportunity. Huge volume day. I said a couple weeks ago, you're going to start to see analysts raise their price targets. I'll stand by that. On a side note, I think Nomura actually lowered their price target to 13, which is interesting. But I still think Ford is the way to play this. And I think with the Rivian, even more so. All right. Coming up, Coinbase earnings on deck for tomorrow. That's got options traders piling in. We'll tell you how they're gearing up for this one. You're watching Fast Money Live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. Back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Crypto rallying as Coinbase gear, gears up for earnings tomorrow after the bell. Mike Coe has um, the action on this from the Fast Line. Mike. Hi there, Melissa. So right now, the options market is implying a move of about 10% higher or lower after they report earnings. Not much of a history here for the company as a publicly traded company. But the calls were outpacing the puts by more than three to one. Among the most active options were the weekly 360 calls. We saw over 5,700 of those trading for about 14 and a half bucks. And overall, we saw bullish bets outpacing bearish bets by about 50%. It seems like the options traders are betting that the earnings results will be good. All right, Mike, thanks for that. For more options action, watch the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, Final Trades. Final trade, Tim. Walmart reports next week. Karen. Yeah, went home long, real, real, so it's like I'm buying it here. Real, real. Dan. JetBlue will fly high. Guy. Caterpillar, sister. Thanks for watching Fast. Stay back here tomorrow at 5. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, 
I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel.